This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. I'm Janice Dean. I'm Brett Baer. I'm Martha McCallum, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Friday, September 2nd, 2022. I'm Chris Foster. The current political climate to a lot of people at least feels more anxious than usual. You've got... Not only people worried about the direction of the country, but you have a shocking number of people who anticipate political violence and or civil war. We speak with former congressman, now Fox News host Trey Gowdy. And Lisa Brady. NASA will try again this weekend to launch its new moon rocket, aiming for a new era in space exploration. I regard this as a real evolution in mission planning if you're just comparing to what we did back in the late 1960s and early 70s when the initial exploration of the moon was taking place. And I'm Greg Jarrett. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. Polls are just polls, but as of now, a little more than two months to Election Day, it looks like Democrats have a decent chance of holding the Senate with Republicans taking back control of the House. And we have absolutely every intention of holding the House. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi at an event in Colorado. In an economic roundtable in Michigan, top House Republican Kevin McCarthy says voters have a choice. Do they want to keep down the path of inflation, of crime, of an open border? Or do they want a new direction with a new plan? Do they want an economy that is strong? Do they want a nation that is safe? Do they they want a government that provides freedom? And do they want a government that's held accountable? A lot of voters have already made up their minds, but some could be convinced. I think there are folks who knew, you know, this time last year how they were going to vote. Uh, There are a lot of folks that vote straight party line tickets. Trey Gowdy, former congressman, a South Carolina Republican, hosted the Trey Gowdy podcast and Sunday Night in America with Trey Gowdy on Fox News Channel. But I have to believe uh, that we live in a country where people are still persuadable um, or else why do we have campaigns? I mean, why even bother? So I have to believe. Um, And then, you know, there's some research that indicates people really don't start paying attention. I mean, some people follow politics all the time. But look, college football is about to start talking about really important things in the world. So I I don't know the percentages, but I have to think that over the course of the next 70 days or so, uh, minds can be changed. I mean, candidates talk a lot about this is important to voters. This isn't important to voters. If you're a political consultant, what are you telling clients to focus on about now? If I were a political consultant, I would resign um, <laughs> immediately. Okay, what would, uh, what would you tell your what would you tell your friends who are running for office? Um, th- I think it's a mixture. I, I think there are obviously people vote, um, and I don't mean this in a selfish way, but they do vote in their own best interest. I mean that is human nature. So, economic issues, of course, but there's so much noise and confusion out there. I mean, take gas prices for instance. One side blames the cancellation of the Keystone Pipeline and a slow permit approval process. The other side blames Vladimir Putin and the war in Ukraine. And I'm not sure either side is right. So, yeah, people are upset about gas prices. I think they'd like to know 
why they're higher, how long that's going to be, inflation, dwindling retirement accounts. But I will say this. I think there is a subcurrent. I I think people are also not just concerned about their own well-being, but the overall well-being of the democracy. So they're trying to balance, okay, what is in my best interest, but also what is in the best interest? I mean, you've got not only people worried about the direction of the country, but you have a shocking number of people who anticipate political violence and or civil war. I mean, there's polling out that 40 percent of the American people anticipate another civil war. I guarantee you the number was not that high five years ago or 10 years ago. So I do think there's a subcurrent of, okay, what's best for me, but also what is best for the health of the country? Yeah. Um, how much of that fear of political violence, not that there's not that there hasn't been political violence over the last few years here and there, how much of that is people being told that there's going to be political violence and so that feeds on itself? Whereas if you, just people in their every, everyday normal life aren't necessarily you know hearing that their neighbor's about to take up arms. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a great question. Unfortunately, human nature is such that that our perception is our reality. And when it's all you see and all you hear, you think it's all that exists. I, I can tell you as I go about my day in the upstate of South Carolina, I am not the least bit concerned that my fellow citizens who have a different view on the size and scope of government are going to take up arms against me. I, I, I don't believe that at all. However, um, language has seeped in over the past couple of years. I mean, if I were a political consultant and I did not resign immediately, which I would, I mean, you hear the word fight all the time. You got to fight for this. You got to fight for that. We hear the over the top rhetoric that Amy Coney Barrett is going to take away all your rights, all of your rights. So do most Americans, you know, go to bed at night worried that they're going to have to take sides in a civil war? No. Do most Americans go to bed at night worried about the health of our democracy? Yes. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned Amy Coney Barrett. Now, you're very pro-life. Um, there's a belief that Democrats are now more motivated than they might have been to come out against these uh, about new, really pretty strict abortion laws in some states. Now, people who are pro-life get what they want after all these years. Uh, there's an expression about, you know, a dog catching a car. What does it do with it once it catches it? Um, should the party be concerned about the political cost or does that matter if that's your belief? No, I, I definitely think they should. I, I think a lot of life is how you uh, how you frame the issue, how you talk about the issue. I have given over the course of my post congressional life, probably two dozen speeches to what would be considered pro-life groups. And I've never once mentioned the word abortion. Never once. I never mentioned Planned Parenthood. It's how you talk about the issue. So Dobbs to me is saying, okay, it's up to you to decide. So I don't think Dobbs alone um, changed that many minds. I think the reaction to Dobbs, I think when people Look, I am pro-life. I was a prosecutor who prosecuted rape cases, including rape cases where the victim became pregnant. So when I read about states that want rape victims to carry the pregnancy to term, um, I I think that's what's resulting in, particularly among college-educated women, um, some that I know that are are conservative in every other facet of their life. I, I, I just... 
where the American people are on the issue of life um, is just not where the political rhetoric is. So I don't think it's Dobbs. I think it's the aftermath of Dobbs and how some state legislators are handling the issue. Yeah. Um, let me talk about Mar-a-Lago just for a second. Um, and and the former president having all these documents. Now, you were a strong adversary of Hillary Clinton when you were in Congress. You oversaw the Benghazi investigation. You accused her of later maybe breaking a law with this private email system she had. What do you say to people who say now, look, um, uh, your friend, South Carolina Senator Lindsey Graham has said, look, if the Justice Department didn't go after Hillary, they can't go after Trump. What do you what's your response? Um, I, or, I or is it apples and oranges? No, it, it's not apples and oranges. Well, it, it might, you know, apples and oranges are actually pretty close to one another. They're, <laughs> they're both fruit. So I don't think I ever called for her to be uh, prosecuted. I, I think I was pr- pretty tough on cross-examining Jim Comey on the reasons he gave uh, when he said that no reasonable prosecutor would go forward. But, but I've been really reluctant to call on anybody uh, to be imprisoned, uh, particularly before they've had a trial. Uh, that's just that's just not that's not the way I see the world. The way I see the world is people who are similarly situated should be treated the same. And for those who argued that she should be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. And look, I was in the room when people chanted, lock her up. And, and keep in mind, this was before she was indicted, before she was tried by a jury of her peers, before anything. They just I mean, it was just this catatonic chant to lock her <laughs> up. And I knew then that that would come back around and it has come back around. So for all the people who thought that she should be locked up, my question is, how do you distinguish these fact patterns? And for all the people who said this is no big deal, it's an innocent mistake, it could happen to anybody. How do you distinguish these fact patterns? My frustration is when you treat people differently because you perceive them to be friend or foe. That is not what Lady Justice does. She doesn't know who's standing in front of her. And you know, speaking of things that cause people angst uh, about the state of our democracy, the rule of law and respect for the law is really the institution that keeps us together. And when that becomes frayed, and I think it's frayed because I don't recall a search warrant being executed on on Secretary Clinton. So someone's going to have to explain why one was done here, but not there. And for all the people who said this is no big deal when she did it, and it was almost every Democrat, then you're going to have to tell me how this is a big deal, but hers was not. And to my Republican friends, if you wanted her prosecuted, then help me distinguish these two fact patterns. Well, and that's the that's the sort of uh, mental game I play with all these controversial situations. If it wasn't your guy doing this, how would you feel if, you know, if, it, if, it, if the shoe was on the other foot? Would you have the same reaction? Now, you're coming off uh, as extraordinarily reasonable to me here. Um, would that cause you problems, do you think, if you were running for Congress for the first time now? You first ran in 2010s. And in just these 12 yes. years, how would you have had to campaign yes. differently, do you think? I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't because I wouldn't win. And if you don't reflect uh, the values uh, and the beliefs of the people that you purport to represent, um, you shouldn't win. So I would not have survived had I not left when I did. I would not have survived some of the issues that that came up after I left. So um, I would be completely unelectable now because I, I don't know how big a constituency fairness has. I, I just don't. I don't know anymore. So, you know, I grew up thinking if you're not going to do it to your to your friends, don't do it to your enemies. 
I mean, you, you have to treat people based on the law and the facts similarly. That's the way prosecutors are supposed to work. But then I saw, you know, you know, I mean, Andrew Wiseman is totally biased against President Trump. You mean to tell me you can't find a prosecutor somewhere in the Department of Justice that doesn't have a pre-existing bias against the person that he or she is investigating? The same with Peter Strzok. So I do get the frustration of people on the right. I just don't think the answer is to treat our perceived foes the same way they treated our friends. I think we ought to recalibrate and go back to being fair. And I, I think that is unelectable now. So what would I tell myself? Don't run. Or if you filed, withdraw. <laughs> Trey Gowdy, former South Carolina House Republican. Uh, if you if you could have taken a time machine to now, he wouldn't have been a former South Carolina House Republican, apparently. Uh, host now of Sunday Night in America with Trey Gowdy on Fox News Channel, also the Trey Gowdy podcast. Trey, it's good to talk to you. Thank you. Likewise. You have a great week. You See too. you. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. This is Greg Jarrett with your Fox News commentary coming up. Tomorrow is the rescheduled launch date for Artemis 1, the first mission of NASA's new moon rocket, after a launch scrub earlier this week because of an engine cooling issue, prompting a change in fueling procedures. The rocket is 322 feet tall, still on the launch pad at Kennedy Space Center, and topped by a crew capsule that will carry three test dummies for its first flight. Deep space... Uh presents a number of challenges to human safety. Mark Baldwin, a Lockheed Martin engineer who's worked on the Orion capsule, says the Artemis One mission is very important for crew safety. Because it represents really the culmination of years and years of effort by multiple teams to illustrate what it would be like for humans to be in that capsule going through the mission phases. And NASA Administrator Bill Nelson says the plan is to take risks during the unmanned mission. The whole reason for this test flight, to stress it and to test it, to make sure it's as safe as possible. Orion is supposed to go around the moon and back and would be the first capsule to get there since NASA's Apollo program 50 years ago. Certainly I'm optimistic. Uh, you can't afford to be a pessimist if you're engaged in space exploration. You just have to be cautious. Astronomer Ed Krupp is director of the Griffith Observatory in Los Angeles. Pessimism will get you nowhere off the planet. Uh, but these kinds of operations are the result of an extraordinary history of, of preparation, design, engineering, and such. And while it's always possible something can go wrong, uh, these testing periods are designed to find out just what that may be. This is, of course, uh, a, a launch that is not occupied by people, and part of that is, in fact, to test the whole system. So uh, I'm certainly very hopeful that it will all go as planned, and particularly given the extraordinary success of the launch of the James Webb Space Telescope, uh, I'm, I'm very hopeful that this will go all right as well. What's different about this rocket? The rocket that is being used to transport 
people once again to the moon um, is similar but not identical to the Saturn V, which was the largest rocket that had ever been constructed uh, on the planet. Uh, this rocket, the SLS, is able to develop stronger or more powerful thrust. That is the energy uh, that it has at its command to carry things off into space is greater uh, than the Saturn V by about 15%. Uh, in actual dimensions, it's comparable actually in some configurations, it's a little bit shorter, but eventually the capsule, the spacecraft that it will propel and in fact is testing uh, on this upcoming launch is designed to carry six people. And remember that the Apollo mission, our, our first uh, effort to reach the moon, carried uh, a maximum of, uh, of really two people. There were three on the mission. One remained up in uh, the command module while the other two went down to the surface. I know this is designed to, to go, you know, potentially further than humans have ever flown. What are some of the concerns with an unprecedented journey like this one because even for the test mission with with no one aboard um the artemis team is planning to take more risks because there aren't humans in the capsule certainly that's the case it's almost impossible to enumerate all of the risks that one might encounter in space exploration i'm afraid it's gotten to be almost a cliche you see a rocket go up and everything is reported back as quite smooth when in fact uh it's just like anything else in life there are a zillion things that can and, and do go wrong but the major systems that you obviously have to worry about eventually are the life support systems and then of course navigation and control you need to make the thing go where you want it to go and, and you, you need to know where that is. All of those things are, are always in a sense at risk, but they're, they're mitigated, of course, by the design and the engineering behind them. I know they're planning, assuming everything gets off the ground and goes according to plan, um, the Orion capsule, unmanned again, is supposed to be put into a six-week lunar orbit. Is that a new approach or is that kind of the evolution of how NASA has always built up to manned missions. I regard this as a real evolution in mission planning. If you're just comparing to what we did back in the late 1960s and early 70s when the initial exploration of the moon was taking place, in this case, there is very much a sense of designing a spacecraft and a transport system that are more robust, more adaptable, more capable of doing more things. Uh, in particular, in this case, uh, this is a more ambitious uh, operation, both in the way it's designed and ultimately in what it's intended to do. Among the things it's intended to examine is the possibility for long-term operations on the moon by human beings. Uh, that requires a variety of things being established there, and not the least of which is oxygen and everything else it takes to to be alive, including water, uh, but also energy, uh, just all the things that you would imagine. So this is a mission or a program that really does have its eye on the next thing as well as this thing. And of course, NASA speaks of this in those terms, not only putting people on the moon for extended periods of time uh, to conduct uh, useful activities there and also in orbit, but also as a stepping stone for further exploration of the solar system and in particular Mars. Mm -hmm. Why now do you think, though, 
to work on this um, return to the moon after so much time has passed. And I ask that in part because, you know, there's some segment of the population that still doesn't think we ever went to the moon the first time. (laughs) And then there are people as well who argue, you know, we shouldn't be spending so much money on the space program. So why now? Well, there there are three questions implied in your question. And and why now is is a tough one in a sense, because now happens to be the product, not of the moment, but really of years of development and planning. And any complex project can have its ups and downs, and in fact, can even be terminated for a variety of reasons and redirected. And that's certainly the case in in this uh, instance, where where what we're doing now is simply the, the, the project as it has developed and matured and evolved over decades has actually come to this point thanks to the funding that has been supplied to it so far and the investments in design and engineering and testing that have gone on. So there's nothing magical about the time now except that enough time has passed to have done all of those things. As for the skeptics who think the moon landings were fake, Krupp finds that offensive. His father, an engineer, worked on NASA's Apollo program. And there's a moon rock at the Griffith Observatory. Anybody who bothers to look at evidence soon realizes that the material that we have from the moon could not have come from Earth. It is different. Yes, it's made of similar atoms, but it's a very different kind of rock than we've got here. But the abundance of evidence that's available to people, I, I think that, that that particular conspiracy is simply a product of, of uh, perhaps the, the decline of critical thinking uh, worldwide. And there's probably something more responsible for that than, than any investment in the space program can, can uh, acquire the blame. Artemis could put astronauts back on the moon in 2025 if all goes well, though the overall program is years behind schedule, with some $40 billion spent already. But no one, no one can dismiss the value uh, of, of space exploration from the very beginning to all of the things that have been done so far. And honestly, anybody who has a smartphone in their hand needs to be thankful for the development of, of space exploration because those devices would have been impossible, wouldn't even work. Uh, today with, without the satellites and without the technology that's developed. And so you have to have a visionary sense as well as a practical sense. And one of the most important things that happened through, and, and we're still in the midst of this, that happened through going to the moon is a transformation of our perspective on ourselves, on the earth and the universe. And you could argue very effectively that the beginning of the modern environmental movement that is concerned about climate change and everything else that always threatens our existence on the planet really got ignited in a, in a dramatic way by that first glimpse of the whole Earth from the moon. And when you examine carefully the comments of all of the astronauts, and it's not that many people who made that trip, not just to orbit, but to the moon, and acquired a perspective that no other people have ever had that put a focus on our understanding of the fragility and the value of this planet that is yet to be fully understood by all of us. We're just still in the the reactive phases. And I would argue no matter how much we ever spent on space exploration, the value of that perspective is is incalculable. Do you think that Artemis is ultimately going to lead to living in space or at least maybe an active space tourism industry sooner rather than later? Or do these things still feel more like dreams at this point? 
Well, I don't regard myself as a particularly good predictor of, of the, uh, the relatively near future. Uh, and so I have to be honest and say I don't know. But every time uh, people take a step in a, a particular initiative, and this is certainly a big step, it winds up uh, accelerating and enriching uh, the imaginations of others and prompting other people to do more things. There is already a, a, a growing movement for space tourism at, at, at low level, of course. Now, does this thing develop into something even more extravagant than, than we know now? I, I, I really don't think that I'm capable. It's just above my pay grade to know whether that's going to happen. But I do know that people uh, have made a buck in space. They're going to continue to make a buck in space and just the way they do it uh, will, will become a revelation for us all to see. Ed Krupp, director of the Griffith Observatory in Los Angeles. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks a lot. I'm Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com. Rate and review the Fox News Rundown on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And now, some good news with Tanya J. Powers. Christopher Ballinger has accomplished something most 17-year-olds don't. He's become one of America's youngest pilots. Christopher's from Washington, D.C., and has finished an eight-week summer aviation training program as a member of the Air Force Junior ROTC. He told Fox he's been interested in flying his whole life. I've always loved heights. You know, I love going on roller coasters, and I've always wanted to see the world, and so being a pilot is just the perfect path to do that, and so... I think that's just, it was just calling to me, you know. He was stationed at Walla Walla University in Washington State for the program. And several weeks ago, he became only the second cadet prepared to perform a solo cross-country flight. His achievement also means he's one of the nation's youngest black aviators. The Flight Academy's website says Air Force Junior ROTC currently has almost 100,000 cadets enrolled in high schools across the country and is the Air Force's most diverse program. Minorities represent 58% of the Air Force junior ROTC student body, and females make up 40%. It says cadets selected for the Flight Academy represented females and minorities more than three times the national averages. Christopher says the training was intense. Once you, you get used to it, you get really confident, and once you start to understand, you know, all, all about the aircraft systems, you know, the weather, your environment, it, it all, like, comes together, so... It makes you, and that makes you a great pilot. He says his family is pretty excited too, especially his mom. She was over the moon. She couldn't believe it. I mean, I still can't believe it. It's a great opportunity. I'm, we're both very excited. As for what's next for Christopher, he says he wants to attend the Air Force Academy after he graduates high school. I'm starting the application right now, uh, Air Force Academy and the Naval Academy. So both of those are definitely what I'm looking for. So hopefully, you know, we get a good response from them. Good luck, Christopher. Tanya J. Powers, Fox News. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Greg Jarrett. What's on your mind? President Joe Biden doesn't have the legal authority for wholesale forgiveness of loans. By executive fiat, he's violating both the Higher Education Act and the Federal Claims Collection Act that set strict limits on modifying or waiving loans, blanket cancellation of debt, 
is forbidden without congressional authorization, not that unscrupulous Joe would care. In attempting an end run around those laws, Biden's Department of Justice claims he can forgive loans under the HEROES Act of 2003. The DOJ apparently didn't bother to read that law. It applies to war, military operations, and a national emergency. No such exigent conditions exist right now, and even if they did, the president's authority to act unilaterally is limited to a payment pause or interest waiver on loans, not abolishing them altogether. Biden knows what he's doing is lawless. He previously admitted publicly he did not have the executive power to do it. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi said the same thing a year ago. Now Biden is ignoring the law and himself by doing it anyway. Biden's power grab will be met with the inevitable legal challenges. The U.S. Supreme Court will likely be asked to resolve it. I wouldn't bet on Biden's chances. He set a modern presidential record for being slapped down by the high court. It's obvious that Biden's debt amnesty plan is nothing more than a disgraceful and blatant attempt to buy votes with taxpayer money in advance of the upcoming midterm elections. But Biden is treating the symptom, but not attacking the cause of our sick and broken educational system that has seen college tuition skyrocket. Government is to blame for that. Over the years, the profligate spenders in Washington have flooded the marketplace with easy-to-get loans. Colleges and universities cheered. Great, let's hike our tuition. The more money the government doled out, the more tuition prices went up. Basic economics. Even if you cancel student debt now, it'll quickly go back up to the current level and beyond in just a couple of years. So Biden is not solving the underlying problem of too much government money infusing the education system. He's simply throwing more taxpayer dollars at it. It's an endless and insane cycle. Our president's solution is therefore spectacularly reckless and stupid. So it's classic Joe Biden, who is both. I'm Greg Jarrett for Fox News. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. Rundown. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. Precise, personal, powerful. Is America's weather team in the palm of your hands? Get Fox weather updates throughout your busy day, every day. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Clay Travis. Join me for Outkick the Show as we dive deep into a mix of topics. New episodes available Monday to Friday on your favorite podcast platform and watch directly on outkick.com forward slash watch.